we are, as a church, we are trying our very best to become what the world needs. Now, the big idea behind what we've been doing is this simple uh, trust that when we follow after Jesus, as he me- means us to, then we become what the world needs. And we all know that the world has many needs. And the simple teaching that we've been following, which comes from Second Peter, has said very simply that when we work at supporting the gift of faith with virtues, uh, then our faith is effective. And, and this morning, we're going to continue on that path as we consider our next of the seven virtues which make faith work. And what I want to do this morning is to start by giving you three pictures, and I want you to imagine yourself in these places. One is Monday morning, very early. A second is Saturday in the middle of the day. And then the third is late on Friday night. Okay, use your imagination here. Uh, it's Monday morning, early, and mom is up changing diapers. She's going to start feeding the baby in just a little bit. Dad is gone already. Uh, he left before anyone woke up to get on the train and go to work. The kitchen's a mess. She'll clean it up after she's done feeding the baby, but it'll be exactly the same tomorrow. And by the time the baby's in bed and she's asleep, then Dad will come home. Now, this is a good calling. She loves this work, but it's tedious because Tuesday morning is going to feel exactly like Monday morning. And when she's honest with herself, sometimes she feels like giving up, but she knows this is the path that she's meant to walk on. That's Monday morning. And now, midday Saturday. Uh, he's eating lunch by himself because he doesn't work on Saturday, and he's a single guy, and so he finds his way to a place to enjoy a meal, but it's not the same when it's alone. It'll be even harder at dinner time because dinner alone, that's a drag. He has plenty of other friends who are single. A lot of them have taken an easier path out of the loneliness where he finds himself, but he's decided not to because he cares about the long-term benefits of walking the path which he knows he should stay on, but the path is a lot longer than he had expected. And sometimes it feels steeper than he'd wished. It's hard, but he knows it's the path to walk on. It's midday Saturday. Uh, One more time, one different person. Now it's late on Friday night. Everybody is asleep except for dad. And he's up sitting on the couch. The TV's running, but he's not even watching it because he's in his head again. It's that same thought that he's had too many times. Maybe I shouldn't have married her. Maybe the reason we have so many problems is she's the wrong person. Maybe it would be so much easier if I just gave up and we left. But then he thinks about his own share of problems, and he remembers what it was like for him when his parents split up, and he knows how hard it was for him, and he thinks about his kids. And so he knows the right thing to do, but it is just so difficult, and he is just so tired. See, on Monday morning, and in the middle of the day Saturday, and on uh, late at night on Friday, what's needed for all three of these is the same exact thing. They all need to develop the virtue of endurance. And maybe you're not in any one of those pictures, but I know it 
You are here because you personally need to grow in endurance. Because any single person, anyone who works at trying to know and follow Jesus will find himself on a path that is steeper than he had anticipated, with less joy than he had hoped for. And along the way, more than once, he'll find himself tempted to give up. And what he needs is endurance. And every woman who says, Jesus is the one that I know I meant to follow, will set out with excitement, but somewhere along the way, it will become way harder than she'd ever thought it would be. And there will be so many opportunities for her to finally say, it's time for me to give up. And what she needs is endurance. And I know that in a room this big, there are some who are here and they're not followers of Jesus, but even you, everywhere in your life, you also know the value of the virtue of hanging in there when it's just too much. The truth about the lives that each one of us have is that before us every day, there is great potential, both for us to experience the joy that we were made to experience and for the world around us to benefit from the gifts that we ourselves can bear into the world. Jesus told his followers this, you are what the world needs. When you trust me, I will use you to do good in the world. And as Peter put it, and this has been our text each week, you must make every effort to support your faith, that is the gift that God has given us each in Christ, you must make every effort to support it with goodness. And we know what that is. And to support goodness with knowledge. That is, you must know about God so you know the good that you're meant to do. You must support that knowledge with self-control. And you must support that self-control, and this is our theme today, with endurance. Because self-control is only valuable as long as it lasts. And endurance is what makes it last. And that's our theme today. Now, our teacher, as we consider this virtue, which is everywhere valuable, will be the author of a little book at the end of the New Testament called Hebrews. Uh, this book, which is known to some of you and will be new to others, is unlike other books in the Bible. It's not a, a letter written to a community. Uh, it, it's not exactly a gospel. It doesn't tell a story. It's more like a sermon. And anyone who would pick it up and read it straight through would find that this is most likely one of the earliest examples uh, of a writing from an individual to a group who was trying to follow Jesus together in order to encourage them. Uh, most likely the recipients were uh, a group of people who had a, a house church in the city of Rome. Uh, my, my wife and I and our family visited Rome recently. Have, have some of you been there? If you haven't, go. It's amazing to imagine a group of Christians like we are in Summit, off in Rome, and here's their situation. Listen to this. It was a group of people who were on the verge of giving up on being a church together. Uh, for individual reasons, and then altogether, they were just about to call it quits. Uh, in Rome, in the first century, it was not easy to be a Christian there. Uh, you know this, that they didn't really like Christians? If you go to the Colosseum, you have proof. It's, it's ghastly what they did. But here was a group in Rome in the first century, and they were on the verge of giving up, and the author of Hebrews didn't want them to give up for two big reasons. And, and I tell you this, because these are my reasons for talking to you this morning about endurance. First is that he knew how much each one of them would lose individually if they gave up on faith. And I know that about every one of you. Some of you I don't know at all. Some of you I know really well. And I know all of the challenges that you faced. 
And I know how much you lose personally if you give up on faith. And this morning, I don't want you to give up. But then also, the author wrote to that church altogether because that church had something good to do in the city of Rome. The Roman city didn't like Christians, but it needed them desperately because what the world needs is men and women who trust Jesus to trust him in a way that makes them into the gift that the world needs, and he didn't want them to give up so that they could do what they needed to do there. And that's the second reason why I share it with you, because you know this area that we find ourselves in needs Renaissance Church? Do you know that? I hope you do. I hope that we can grow and become what the world needs as we trust Jesus. And so with that in mind, we're going to listen to the author of Hebrews, just one part of the letter. This is the 12th chapter. The first three verses there narrow in on the virtue of endurance, and we're going to listen, and then we're going to learn together three things, okay? I want you to get these in your mind. We're going to learn what to do, how to do it, and what to expect when we do that, okay? We're going to start with what to do. In verse 1 of chapter 12, here's what we read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There we have a very clear expression of what to do, and it's set within the metaphorical framework of a race. If you were here last week when we talked about self-control, the metaphor which Paul used to teach about that virtue was also the, 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 the metaphor of a runner and a race. And it's no accident, it was one of the most common ways for a moral teacher to help instruct people about life. Back then, it was to use the image of a race. And, and it's plain uh, to find the reason. It's because back then, as today, we know that sometimes life feels like one step after another. It's a race, doesn't it? Like you've got to keep going in the same direction. We uh, might use a slightly different version of this when we talk about life as a journey, right? Or life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long. Don't you love that song? You're not afraid to admit it. I'd like to sing it right now, but that would be an infringement of copyright laws, and so I've been told I'm not allowed to. But just sing it in your head for a moment. Right? It's, it's because life is like that, isn't it? Life is like a journey, right? And so the, the image of a race works. But here, as in, as in every case when we learn from a metaphor, we have to be careful because we can misapply what the author means to teach us. And here we are learning about a virtue. The first question we have to ask is, in which situation is this teaching applicable? Because we might be tempted to think that here we're going to learn something that, that is valuable for whichever race we happen to be running in our lives right now. And that's not exactly right. Look at the end of verse 1. Okay, this is for, uh, very precisely here, this is for the race that is set before us. And that's different from whatever race we happen to be running. And the reason we must narrow in and be precise here is this. There are many races which some of us will be running that are not the races which God has set before us, but instead they're races which we ourselves have decided are the right ones to run. And what we need to learn this morning is not how to keep running that race, but how to get out of that race because it's the wrong one for us. Do you see what I mean? Right? Sometimes 
We've decided the race that I'm going to run is for this relationship, and we do everything we can to stay in it. Our friends say, wrong relationship for you. The people who love us and care about us say, why are you with that person? And yet we keep running, but we don't need to learn about how to endure. We need to get out of it, right? Or maybe it's work. Maybe you're running the race of six days a week, more hours than you should, trying to climb the ladder, and you think, I need to learn how to endure this job, but in fact, you need to learn how to quit and get out of that job. Right, so you shouldn't listen to the, the teaching here because, again, this is for the race that is set. And, and it's a very apparent in the Greek, but the reference here is not to whichever race you happen to be running, but to the race that God himself has given you to run. And you may not know this, but the truth about your life for every one of you is that at each moment, God is setting before you a race which he does want you to run. And whichever race you're running that's not that race, you should get out of that race to to race in the race that God gives you. Okay, for the people in Rome, in the middle of the first century that this letter was written to, their race was to be a light in a very dark city which needed their light. And that was a hard race. And when the author of Hebrews thought about those people, he knew if they give up, the city of Rome is gonna suffer. And God loves even the people in Rome who are killing Christians. He loves them so much that he wants those people there to run that race so that they become the light for them. And so here God speaks to that group about their race, which he gave them, so they won't give up. Every one of you has a race that God has put before you. And I promise you, as soon as you start to race it, you'll want to give up, but you shouldn't. What you should do, look again at verse 1. This is what to do. You should... Run with endurance that race which God has called you to. Is the race to be a loving mom who cares for her little ones in such a way that they grow up to know God's love? If that's the race that God has put before you, you must learn to run with endurance. Is it to be that dad who goes on the train before the kids get up and works in an environment that's no friend of the Christian? but to do it with integrity in a way that shines light on the person who answers the phones in the office, the man who cleans out the garbage cans, and your coworkers. Is that your calling? If so, you gotta run that race with endurance if God's called you to it. Is it to become a part of a new mission in the church that you go to on Sundays that moves that church further into obedience than it's ever been before, deciding how to use the generosity of that church? Is that your race? If so, you gotta learn to run it with endurance. Why? Because if you quit then you personally miss out on the joy of finding the reason God made you. And every one of you is made for a reason, and it's to run in the race that God is setting before you. Don't quit. You'll miss out. And the world needs us to keep running because otherwise the world will miss out. So that's what to do. Run with endurance that race which God has set before you. If, I'm gonna pause for a minute. If you would let your own heart imagine what the race that God is calling you to might look like, let it happen for a moment. Here, I want to say this clearly, and then I want to show it to you. Endurance is a virtue which is hard to overestimate in terms of how utterly valuable it is. When you have endurance, so, much, uh, so many other things are, are possible that, that disappear when you don't have it. Okay, let me define endurance. I would say that endurance is the ability to exercise self-control in the same direction for a long period of time. Last week, we learned from Aristotle that self-control 
is the ability to be guided into your actions by your reason rather than by your feelings. And so add to that endurance. And, and endurance is simply the exercise of that kind of self-control, not just once or twice, but over and over again in the same direction over a long period of time. When a person learns to do that, whatever they think about Jesus, they will be developing the kind of character that makes them way more able to be a significant force in the world around them and enables them to be a person who receives joy much more emphatically than if they did not have that character, that virtue, endurance. Uh, let, let me tell you about uh, an experiment that uh, was conducted in the 1960s. A social scientist who was a professor at Stanford his name is Walter Michel. He wanted to understand how children, uh, some of them exercise self-control and others were not able to, and then even more so, some were able to exercise self-control over a long period of time while others could not. Everyone who's a parent in here, you've lived this experiment yourself with your kids. Am I right? Right? There's the one who can control his actions and the other who cannot. Uh, in, in the late 60s, at the Bing Nursery School at Stanford, uh, Walter Michel led a research project. They had 600 test subjects between the ages of four and six, and here's how they unfolded their experiment. Uh, one at a time, kids would go into a room with a controlled environment, uh, minimal distractions. The researcher would be there with the child sitting at a desk upon which there was set a marshmallow. Do you like marshmallows? You don't like marshmallows as much as four to six-year-olds. The researcher would tell the child, you can have that marshmallow right now, or if you're willing to wait, I'll give you two marshmallows. All you need to do is to just choose not to eat it right now. I'm going to leave the room, and when I come back, if you haven't eaten it, I'll give you two marshmallows. Every child in, in the experiment decided, I want two marshmallows because that's twice as good as one marshmallow, right? And as soon as the researcher leaves the room, Okay, the outcome was recorded, and then the researchers did some deeper investigation to see what they could learn. A minimal number of the children ate the marshmallow before the guy even left the room. Okay, no self-control. Wham. Marshmallow, delicious. Of the remaining group that decided to, to wait, 60% ate the marshmallow before the researcher returned. Now, it was 15 minutes. And for, for a four to six-year-old, someone's like, that's completely unfair, right? That's an eternity, right? That's self-control over a long period of time. That's endurance. The 30% that endured, the 30% of, of those children that had the virtue of endurance, the researchers checked up on those kids when they were high school students, years later. And what they found was that in just about every measure of success, which it's possible for a social scientist to devise, those kids were way further ahead than the kids who did not know how to endure. Their grades were higher. Their behavior was way, way better in the classroom. They had much better relationships with their parents. Their SAT scores were categorically different. They were much more able to endure frustrating situations and stay focused. They wondered if this was just an aberration, just something that applied to school. Just recently, the researchers came back to the project and they found 59 of these students who are now in their 40s. And the outcome was still just the same. Lower instances of divorce, of addiction, of, of, uh, of 
job changes, of all kinds of the kinds of things we measure that say this person seems to have found a way to be successful. Endurance is broadly applicable and good everywhere. Now, some who read the results of the study uh, concluded that, well, what, what does it teach us? It teaches us that some kids have it and most kids don't. And it's too bad for those 70% who can't exercise endurance. But those 30% who can, they're the lucky ones, right? We may be tempted to think that's what this teaches us. But Walter Michel, the, the researcher who was the head of this project, says to this interpretation an emphatic no. It's not random. It's actually very plain to see what differentiates those who endure from those who cannot. And in his words, it is very simple that the kids who are able to wait are those who have the skill of exercising self-control strategically so that they're able to endure. That is, he observed that the kids who waited did things which anyone can learn to do that enabled them to hang in there and wait. And from these results, he himself has uh, begun to try to teach the, the, the path that any person who tries to apply themselves to grow in endurance is free to take so that they can last and they can then have all of the benefits. To put it simply, the kids who waited were the kids who covered their eyes and didn't stare at the forbidden marshmallow. They were. They were kids who turned their backs on the marshmallow. They were kids who carried on conversations with themselves to distract their attention from the thing which was forbidden. They even uh, often found that the kids who began to talk to themselves about the future benefit rather than the thing which was presently forbidden were the ones who lasted way longer. And here's the takeaway, listen. The takeaway is that endurance is something we can learn to do. It's not just something you have or you don't. It's an action which we can take responsibility for growing. And in the words of Peter, you must make every effort to support your faith with endurance so that it is kept from being ineffective and unfruitful. God wants you to have faith which matters for you and the world. And it won't matter unless you grow in endurance. And so if we come back to the author of Hebrews, okay, let's get back in that world for a minute. We've already learned that what we're called to do is to run with endurance. Not whatever race we decide is for us, but the one that God calls us to. So how do we do it? How can we have a strategy for enduring? Come back to the, the Hebrews text, and I've found what to me seem like three very clear and practical steps that we are all free to take so that we develop the virtue of endurance. I want to set them before you one at a time and show you where they come from in the text so that we learn endurance. And that's my goal, that you would learn, okay? Here's the first lesson from this text. The first step toward endurance is that you should remember God's work. Now picture yourself on whatever race God has called you to run, whatever it is for you. While you're running, it's going to be hard, and what you should do to keep going is remember God's work. You should call to mind while you're running the good things that God himself has done in the past for you or for other people who you know when you are running and you think, I can't do this anymore. Remember God's work. I know for many of you who are here this morning, in the past, 
unlike the present, sadly, there were days where you felt so close to God because you knew his power for you personally. And now when you're running and you're ready to give up, what you need to do is to remember God's work and then you will not give up. That's exactly what you should do. If you're here now and you think, well, I've never known God's work in the past. I have nothing to remember. Then you are free to call to mind the examples of men and women around you who have known God's work and let that inspire you. You can do that too. Uh, this first bit of guidance that, that you are free to do when you're there and the marshmallow is tempting, remember God's work. Everyone can do this. And in the book of Hebrews, the way this teacher functioned was in effect to begin his guidance about endurance with this exact strategy. Look again at verse one. He says in his teaching, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So anyone who's read through the entire book of Hebrews knows that for about a chapter and a half before he gets to chapter 12, he's running through a list of men and women who are unbelievably inspiring as examples of endurance. These are people that you can read about in the Bible who knew that God had called them onto a race that was just too much for them to handle, and yet they trusted God, and every single time God came through so that they could keep running. Not so that they got a prize for themselves, but so that they became what the world needs. And you are free here. You are not just free, you are invited to remember that you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. That's strange language. In, in classical Greek, in antiquity, this phrase is meant to, to have you envisioning a crowd that is all around you watching you as you yourself are racing. Imagine you're in a stadium, and in those ancient stadiums, the seating was quite steep, right? Imagine you're running around the track, and you are literally surrounded by all of those people who are proof that God is faithful. And, and if it's someone from the Bible, you put them in the stands. If it's a friend of yours who's someone who you've seen God do wonderful things in her life, put her in the stands. If it's someone that you know right now or in your family or in this church who's inspiring to you, here's the guidance. Put them up in the stands as you yourself race and when you feel discouraged and when you wanna quit and when you wanna say, I cannot do this anymore, I have to give up, remember the cloud of witnesses that are all there and they're cheering you on and you can do it. Remember God's work, that's number one. Now, while you're racing and remembering God's work, here's the second lesson that I take for endurance from this teaching in Hebrews. And it is that if you're going to run with endurance, you must learn to let some things go. All of us are holding on to too much. I, I almost just change it to a lot of us are holding on to too much, but not one of us in here needs everything that we're holding on to. Maybe after church today, you should go and throw something away. I mean, it's something that distracts you from the race that God wants you to run. Maybe some of us should do that. There are good things that we are holding on to. They're not bad, but they just are too much. And if we're going to be effective at the race that God has called us to run, maybe we need to set down one or two of those things, and then we can run. There are bad things that we hold on to that we've gotten ourselves involved in that are like, it's like tying a rope around your legs and then trying to run a race. We need to get rid of those things. The way that the author puts it here in Hebrews is in this phrase that we must lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so close. Uh, the writer here knows the people he writes to. He knows that they're holding on to too much and if they're going to endure, they have to simplify. You can't run a race while you're carrying too many things. And so here, let something in your own mind come 
that it's a good thing maybe that you need to stop. It's an activity, a hobby. It's something that is just cluttering up your life so that you can simplify, get rid of it. And then there's some sin. Uh, And most of us deep in our hearts know when we're doing something we shouldn't do. We're on a path we shouldn't be on. Get off that path. Uh, Not because God doesn't like you when you're there, but because you can't run the race that he set before you when you're there. Get back on the path and run the race with perseverance. Let go of some things. Here's the third lesson. And this one, this one is visual, okay? The third lesson, if you're going to run with endurance, is that you should learn to keep your eyes on Jesus while you are running the race that he's called you to run. I can tell you from my years of experience of doing my best to run the race that God has called me to, that over and over again, the irreplaceable virtue for me personally has been endurance. There are so many times that I've been tempted to give up, and the most effective strategy for me is to look at Jesus. Because every time I do, what I see is a man who was called by God to follow a certain path who had more reasons than I do to give up. Because he met more resistance than I've ever met. And he had more reasons to be disappointed and more reasons to say, I'm not gonna do it anymore. And yet he ran every step of the way, he endured. And when I look at him, I am so moved and so inspired to keep going. I'm so heartened, I'm so encouraged that when I think of him, then I can keep going. Here, the author of Hebrews unfolds this third strategy in verse three, excuse me, in verse two, when he says, this is how you should run, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, means pioneer is the one who's gone ahead. And it means that Jesus is out in front of you in this race. And perfecter of our faith means he is the run the one who has run with perfect perseverance. He's the one who has endured in every way. And so if you want a perfect example of what it looks like, just look at him. And when you do, you will see, as you read here, one who endured the shame of the cross. The cross was the most ignominious and shameful death that the first century Romans could devise. And yet Jesus ran the race all the way to the cross. That's inspiring. And that was not the only thing he endured. You look to him and you can see that everything that you've ever had to endure, he also has already endured. Anyone in here have to endure the difficulties of a psychotic family? Don't laugh too loud if you're with your family today. Jesus had brothers who didn't understand him and rejected him and turned him out. He knows what that's like. He ran through that. Anyone in here ever had to suffer because your friends failed you and betrayed you even? I have. It's so awful, isn't it? Jesus went through that too. Has anyone in here ever been blamed for the exact opposite of what they were trying to do by the very people they were trying to help? Have you ever done that? That is so miserable. Jesus lived through that. He died because of that. There is nothing that you ever will face with which Jesus has not yet faced himself. He became like us in every way except without sin so that he can give us help when we're being tempted to give up. That's also from the book of Hebrews. Friends, this last bit of guidance that you should keep your eyes on Jesus is partly because of the example that he will be if you will look at him. And you can look at him as you read about him in the Bible. You can look at him as you close your eyes and then the eyes of your heart are opened in prayer to see him. And when you do, you will see someone who's ahead of you who will lead you. 
But here's the other reason to keep your eyes on him. Listen to this. The race that you are called to run, Jesus has already run on your behalf, and he has carried you broken and ruined in his arms all the way to the cross so that he could take away from you every sin that was yours, which would keep you from moving with joy and goodness in the world. He's done that. He's run all the way to the cross with the old you so that the old you could be crucified on the cross so that you could have a new life. And when you keep your eyes on him, the perfecter of your faith, you see the truth that the legal record with its demands that was against you has been taken by him and nailed to the cross so that you're utterly free from it. And now you can run the race without the weight of the shame of your sin and failure pulling you back, and you can go with the glory of being a son or daughter of his who is fully and utterly justified, set right by God's grace in Jesus, and now you are ready to run. Keep your eyes on him. That's, that's encouragement, isn't it? And it's for this. Listen, it's so you will endure. You let it come to mind, the race that God has put before you, not the one that someone else has forced you on, okay? The one that some mean, powerful person has pushed you on. You need to get out of that race. But the one that God has called you on, run that race with endurance. Remember what God has done. Do it. Call it to mind. Let go of some things and then keep your eyes on Jesus and don't give up, okay? Don't give up. The world needs you not to give up. The people around you need you to not give up. A God is inviting you to not give up. That's how you will do it. Now, I said there were three things, the third of which was, what should we expect if we do this? If we, if we endure this race and we employ that strategy, what should we expect? Here, I'm gonna just tell you right up front what to expect if we do this. You ready? We are gonna find ourselves on a path which is too hard for us to travel. And the only way we'll do it is if we endure. And the only way to grow the virtue of endurance is by enduring. So if you've been tempted with this thought that I must be doing something wrong because I'm trying to follow Jesus, but it's hard, do not give up. That's how endurance comes. And if you try to run away from trouble, you know what happens? If it's trouble that you yourself have gotten your, you know, yourself into, you should run from it. But if it's the trouble that comes as you try to follow Jesus, you should not run from it. You should run through it. Here, look at what to expect. This is verse three in chapter 12. Consider him, this is the one you're supposed to look to, who endured such hostility against himself from sinners. That means when you look to Jesus, the one who's out ahead of you, you will see someone who had to walk on a path where he had to endure misery from sinners. How can we expect anything but challenge? But then, if we're looking at him, here's the promise. So that you may not grow weary or lose heart. And that means if you employ this strategy, you will not you will not lose strength. You won't. You will not grow weary and your heart will be strengthened and you'll be able to do it. But you must not run from the trouble. But you must learn to run through it. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm gonna show you a picture. This is how I'm gonna close. 10 years ago, I was out on a lake uh, near Scranton, Pennsylvania in a paddle boat with a friend catching fish. Anyone in here fish? You fish, right? Some of us fish, right? You know the paddle boats I mean, the ones that are for like, seven or eight-year-olds. All right, I'm on one side, and my friend, who is uh, six foot six and 250 pounds, is on the other side, and we're paddling along trying to catch bass, all right? And we're catching nothing until about an hour away from our dock, we, we hit into this, uh, this magnificent batch of bass, and it's one after another. Uh, every cast is a catch. 
And if you're not a, a person who fishes, you're like, who cares, right? But this is when your heart starts racing, right? It's when like life is perfect. And here we are fishing when my friend nudges me and I look up in the, the late spring sky and I see towering coming toward us the blackest thunderhead I've ever seen. You know what I'm talking about? You see those in the New Jersey summertime? They're scary, right? Have you ever been on the water when one's coming toward you? It's terrifying, but not if you're catching bass. And so we keep casting. <laughs> and we got another one. One more. We've got time for one more. Now, we can see this thing like a wall of terror bearing down upon us. It's about 30 feet. We can see the rain just hitting the water. And it's coming slow enough so we get a few more casts. But then we turn the boat and we start to paddle with all our might. And, and we're big, right? But, but Matt's bigger and stronger, so the boat keeps going like this, right? <laughs> And, and within about 30 seconds, the storm's on top of us, and lightning strikes about 30 feet next to the boat, and I lose my hearing. I can't hear a thing, except for my voice, which is saying, so, Christian, here's how it ends for you. In a paddle boat next to your friend, because you had to catch two more bass. I scream out, what should we do? He says, keep paddling. And listen, for 30 minutes straight, we paddle with all of our might, and five or six times, lightning strikes beside us. I'm sure we're going to die. I can, see, I can see the dock in the distance. We're getting closer. We get to the dock. The water is just pelting us. We get off the boat, and no sooner are we off the boat than the, the rain stops, and I turn, and it's brilliantly sunny as far as I can see, and then I look at my friends who were there waiting for us on the dock, and I say, how long did that storm last? And they say, about 90 seconds. It, it was about this wide. It hit us, and we paddled with it for a half an hour, <laughs> trying to get away from it. <laughs> and if only we hadn't tried to run from the struggle, but instead ran through it, we would have continued fishing. And, and if I, I don't want you to hear this for any and all struggle you ever face. Okay, please listen. If you're facing struggle because you're far away from God, run away from that struggle because you're gonna die. And you may be dead already, and I mean that. You know what I mean by that? Life without him is death. But if you've decided to follow Jesus and you're making every effort to grow these virtues which support faith, of course you're gonna face trials. You're following Jesus. Don't run away from it. Because if you do, it, you're not gonna get anywhere. And what you're going to miss is way better than fishing. And what the world is going to miss is what it needs, which is for us to have the virtue of endurance beneath our faith. Let's pray and ask God to give it to us. God, for this time to study and think and grow together with these men and women, I give you thanks. I praise you that you have called me to run this particular race of being a pastor. I love the work that you've given me and I thank you for it, even as sometimes it is a struggle and it's challenging. God, I know that every man and every woman in this place, everyone who can hear my voice, those who believe it and those who don't believe it yet, I know that you have a race for every one of them to run and it will be the race which is good for them and for the world. God, would you send your spirit now into every heart in this place both to help us see what race you're calling us to run and to give us what we need to endure. Help us take what we've learned together today 
and, and, and help it sink into our hearts and our minds so that it shapes our experience of faith because we want to, to endure so that we can have a faith which works for us and the world. And then, God, lastly, I pray for Renaissance Church as a whole. I pray that as a church, with greater clarity each day, we would see the race that you are setting before us altogether. And I pray that we would remember what you've done in the past, that we would let go of the things as a church that we need to let go of. And then I pray very simply that as a church, we would keep our eyes on you and that seeing you, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, that there would be a day in the future when we look back and we are utterly astounded by how much good you have done for the world because you built into us the virtue of endurance. We want you to use us. Please do in Jesus' name.